So, like, welcome to the uh, Laughing Monkey Music Show tonight. How are you? Good evening. I'm just fine. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. So, we haven't heard from you in a little bit, and um, with COVID lockdown, I want to get a little update on you and the band and a little history, and then see what's going on in the future with you guys, all right? Well, well COVID really locked the band down, and unfortunately locked me down and my family down. So, as we, we've been talking for a few weeks to try to get this set up. So, I am an alumni of the COVID crew. So, uh, so anybody I'm coming out with myself. Everything's yes, not real. real. It's real. He had it, and his family had it, and, we and we've it, had, right? yeah, as we discussed for a minute before we went on air. Yeah, I, my family saw the spectrum. My, I had the the the, the a very very low tolerance, a very high tolerance for it. So I really had a fairly easy two weeks in the grand scheme of things. It put my wife in the hospital, and it killed my brother. So if you want to talk about the uncertainty of this illness, it's it's we lived it in my family. So I'm sorry, uh, sorry to hear you go through that. And I mean, yeah, you, it's uh, it's it was a tough year on so many levels for so many people. So uh, we did what every family does. We just stayed together and stayed optimistic. And thank you for we'll sharing, though, because it, 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 you you know it's it's real, you know. It's that's, you're sharing it's, with other people. It's not like it's like oh, it's rumor. It's it's it's, it's it touches everybody and. It's huge. On, on varying degrees, which is the real thing that everybody's really got to understand is, yes, I had the sniffles, but going through what I went through with my family, yeah, I stayed locked in a room for two weeks until I was showing no symptoms, until I was tested negative. So just be wise and be courteous and be understanding, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll get to the other side of this, I'm sure. So, so prior to that, what have you been up to that? Um... I'm getting real preachy right out of the gate, aren't I? No, this is... This is... <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing this is not this is about this is all about you and the band this is that's what the shows are about these shows are each about the band what you guys are doing well the band are. it's about being a real a, person we had a tour we had a series of different tours planned we had m3 festival uh we managed by the skin of our teeth uh we managed to get the monsters of rock cruise was in february and that was literally two or three weeks before all the hell broke. It looks so awesome. I'm terrified of boats and, and cruise ships. They feel like it feels like even before COVID, like it's just like a, a black light, <laughs> a black light nightmare for me. Like it just feels like it's the worst thing ever. It, like it's a motel for me as well. What for me as well? Cruise sounds so good every year. I keep hearing about it. it's better, better. I'm like, oh my god, it's so tempting, but it's like, Ugh. well, the cruise. It, it's you, until we did the first one, I felt exactly like mm -hmm. you. Like it's going to be sardines. It's going to be, yeah. you know, just. Not no, not be able to breathe the dirty buffet, yeah. all that stuff. You at, at times you just forget you're even on a boat. It's beautiful, and the way they have it structured, yeah. Because I didn't know what we were going into, and it was, are we going to be just separated from the fans for the whole thing? And it's such an interactive, wonderful thing for the fans. My, my keyboard player Jed and I, we do a cooking competition, and Jimmy from Kicks and Chad from Faster Pussycat, we're we're the team for the last three years. I think we won two of the three. It's just a lot of fun. And, and it, the, my wife is like the biggest audiophile of my genre that ever yeah. lived. And she just said, there's, you go, Kicks is here and Firehouse is here and Extreme is here and Striper's here. It's such an unbelievable experience on a fan perspective. Yeah, it sounds and, it's yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, I would highly recommend it to anybody. They, they, no pun intended, but they're on a very tight ship. The schedules are all good. <laughs> the, the talent is off the charts. The production, the different activities they have. You go shoot hoops with Joel Hoekstra. And yeah, it literally sounds, it sounds that great. Like on everything I read, it's literally being on a boat. And then they had COVID and people got locked on a boat. Like literally my worst nightmare. Besides like having sharks <laughs> around the boat, <laughs> you could not so make my worst ocean nightmare. It was, 
I think it was like Valentine's week. And right when we got home is when everything just, so we managed, luckily we wouldn't have done any shows this year. We managed to do that. And then I I don't remember the order of things. We had a a British run, we had a European run and we had a slot on M3 and we had a festival in France. We had a festival in Switzerland. It was, it was a nice run plan for this year. And I don't know, Chris and my guitar, uh, my guitar player, Chris and I got to talk in one night and even before it was obviously not going to happen. Yeah. It's just Taiketo has been maybe for the last 10 or 15 years. We've never sold millions and millions of records. We don't get extensive airplay. So Danny and I at one point just said, you know what, F it. Let's just do what we want to do for the reasons we want to do them. If it feels yeah. right, if it feels good. And even before a lot of other bands started canceling, you know, for me, a Taiketo experience is, a, you know, maybe 500 to 1,000 seat club packed, mm-hmm. shoulder to shoulder, sweaty, everybody's singing. I'm like... It's even if we can do this, at what level are we going to be able to do it? So we opted to push the whole thing to March of 2021. Fast forward to about maybe a month or two ago, Danny and I are on the phone talking. And I just said, for the for the fans, for our crew, for me, do I want to sit on a, a plane for six hours yeah. and then sit in a van with seven other people for two weeks? And and I said, it's it doesn't feel right yet. And and I didn't know how Danny was going to feel about it because Danny's – we're the best partners ever because we're different, very different. He's a road dog. I, I think if I told Danny I booked a 250-show tour, he'd be the happiest guy in the world. And I just said – I said, I just don't feel this. Okay. Don't. So we were – we just made the decision after a very long dialogue to not go out in 2021 – so now we have a second reschedule and our agent just, we had such a nice run put together. We just kept it to the UK. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, at this juncture, we, we canceled all the European stuff. Um, we decided to just emulate the exact tour we had booked in 21 into 22. Yeah. So we made the announcement about three weeks ago. You know, we just told the fans, plus when you get into that eight to 12 weeks before a tour, like, right, if it was a normal year and I was going out of March of 2021, this would be yeah. the time that I was reserving hotels and renting equipment and hiring the crew and getting the work permits done. So we just said, you know what, for everybody, best interest, let's just push this back. So it looks like besides the cruise we did in February, 2020 and 2021 should be very quiet years for us. So I'm not sure we're going to do anything in 2021 either. Well, streaming or something kind of just to kind of, we tried that. Uh, our dilemma is we can never get together in a room. So we did little Brady Bunch cubes. We did right. one song yep. in April. To me, I, I commend the bands that do it, and I love watching them. But the work that goes, we're a live band. Like we're what we do mm-hmm. together. Like we're from that kind of Zeppelin school that you just everybody in feeding off each other, pulling stuff in different directions, improving stuff. I wish we could get together. I'm in Jersey. My bass players in. Uh, Pennsylvania, my guitar plays in Atlanta, my keyboard plays in England, and my singers in Spain. So there's not wow. a chance in hell we're getting in the same room for at least a year. I get you know it's not for everybody. Like I, I do, I appreciate it. And some of these bands really lock in, like so good. You know what I mean? We when they do it, and, but our live, our live right. thing is. Yeah, it's also it's also your feeling. It, you know, it's also how you feel about it. Like I. It's like, you know, some people can have kids and some people should not. Everybody should have kids. You know, some people should have an iPhone. Some people should have an Android. You know what I mean? It's, it's not for everyone. It's whatever you enjoy, you know? It's, there's no rules. 
No, and that's with the the live element we took. I'm not sure what happened. I think it was getting some of the new blood in the band, some of the guys, and mm -hmm. and both Chris and Jed, self-admittedly, were huge Taiketo fans. Like Chris was like, I saw you guys at Download. I think Jed told me that. He goes, I saw you at Download. Now I'm playing with you at Download. So they just brought this enthusiasm that, that made us talk. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, the, the level of musicianship, I'm bragging, but I have a great band Bragging. Someone's got to do it. Uh, I think they wanted to put their own thumbprint. Like Chris learned Brooks solos to the note. Um, but he also managed somehow or other to put his own signature on it, as well as paying homage to what Brooke did, which was brilliant. So it's it's a nice combination of, of uh, I think, retaining the integrity of the band. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be like, what are these guys doing up there? This isn't what it, remotely what it sounds like on the record. There's a, it's a, the fans describe it best. There's just this different kind of energy up there. Like we're so, I think Taiketo for Danny and I, especially, we've been on life support more times than most bands are allowed to rebound from. And we just, you know, we, we'll go into this real quiet dormant phase and there's not much going on. And then we did the Dig and Deep record. And then we got a nice lengthy live run out of that. And then we did the Reach record, which some fans and critics yeah. say is one of the best records we ever made. I remember when it came out, that was good. Actually, it caught my eyes. Like, oh, they're back. I, at that point, you know, I didn't, yeah, I heard from you know, a while. So now, like, now you... yeah, Dig and Deep kind of gently tapped at the door that we were back. Yeah, Reach kicked the wall in. Like Reach was like, holy, can I curse? Yeah. Okay. Reach was I'm like, not, I'm not your parents. <laughs> <laughs> I always curse, so I have to ask. Um, but Reach was like, holy shit, these guys are really. Yeah. Because we took a whole different approach. That's, I think that was the pinnacle of Danny and I just really saying, let's make this our thing, good, bad, or indifferent. We'll live with our bad decisions if they happen to be bad decisions. But let's make the record we want to make whether it sells five records or five million records, we don't care. So I started, I can, for lack of a better word, I just overplayed my ass off on that record. I just really leaned into it and everybody did. And uh, Bruce Buchanan, who produced it, just did a brilliant job of, for me, there's very few records that I like to listen to that I think everybody, every musician in the band's in the front seat of the car. Yep. Dr. Feelgood, um, Perfect Strangers by Deep Purple. Yeah. Like that the sonic like credibility on that record just levels me. That the just the hi-hat so crisp and the bass guitar is nice and full. So he managed to really make it a band album. Like everybody shines on that record. It's not like you've got this guy over here that's getting all the attention and the other instruments are forgotten. So it was a wonderful experience for us. That really back big. So when we did that, it was more okay, we, we've seen the results of making the record we wanted to make. Now let's pick the shows we want to play. Let's just not go out and schlep for two months all over Europe, playing every place you could do just to fill a schedule. So we said, you know, something like the Robin in Bilston, England. It's like home for us. Uh, Rock City in Nottingham, it's like home for us. Uh, the couple of different clubs in Camden and London that we just frequent all the time. There's a few yeah. in Holland we love. So it's it, it just... Let me let me ask you. I told you one thought. Now by doing that, once again by doing the show, I'm hearing a lot of different schools of thought. Some people are like, you know, I'm just going to play like a road dog. But some people are like, you know, what we've realized, especially at this point in our career, because you guys, I'm going to be talking to you know, musicians, not rock stars. But you guys are musicians. You do it because you love music. Good years, bad years. You're just a musician. That's who you are. You can't turn it off. 
that being said, by playing every show so much on one level, because, you know, oh, they'll be back again. I don't think it's devaluing the band. Like, you can actually get more bang for the buck. Like, it's more exciting for them because, you know, doing less shows. And you guys get more from it. Yes, doing less shows makes it more exciting. And what we always do as well, just to keep building our base. Like, we used to just go to England and Holland and Belgium. That was it. We couldn't get arrested outside of those countries. We started building Germany. And Germany started, We I remember we played this place called the Scum Club. It was like maybe a 200 people. I mean, it was just really the a Scum Club? The Scum Club. <laughs> you know, I mean, if the place is dirty, you can't complain. They're like, listen, did you see the sign in the door? <laughs> I'll give you a very quick story about the Scum Club. Oh, so please. No, no. The owner told us, you had, whatever time it was, you have to be done at this time and get the fuck out of here because now we're going to become a hardcore club a half hour after you're done playing. Oh, I wouldn't. Yeah, you go. Frosted tipped hair and leopard skin jackets and you know. And he goes, you, you guys are going to get killed if you're in this building after you're done playing. So this guy came in to watch us. He came in on our last song. Pierced everywhere. Inked yeah. everywhere. He just looked like a killer. And he's like eyeballing me. He's watching me. So I'm like, here we go. <laughs> So we got done playing and he comes walking over to us. I'm like, now, okay, it's showtime. And he comes up, he goes, he goes, I got two things to tell you. I said, what's that? He goes, I hate your fucking music. I said, all right, what, what else you got? And he goes, but he goes, for the music you play, you just did an unbelievable job up there. That was outstanding. And I'm very impressed. So I said, dude, I think you just gave me the best compliment of my yeah, career. It was a field backhanded compliment. <laughs> it, it, was a real, it was a real forward compliment. I looked at it like you self-admittedly hate this style of music, but you're yeah. respecting how well we do it. There was something about that that I found very honest. Because, you know, you don't always have to love everything you hear, no. but he respected it. And that really, you know, that, that made me proud that, that somebody that doesn't like the music I play still respects how we deliver it. That, I think that said a lot for our live performance. I, for some reason, and then we had a beer together and he was a cool guy. It was, it was- That's awesome. Oh, I'm in here. That's weird. And, uh, I guess the uh, do not disturb thing doesn't work. That's really weird. Well, yeah. That's all right. It's, it's really easy to edit. Um, just cut and snip. I, that's how I do. I just um, ended that story that, too. But it was perfect. It was perfect. Yeah. I think, no, I think it is good. I, I mean, I think I always think with, with people, it's always hard. Like, cause you, you, you're fanboys and you, I've watched interviews and sometimes the, artists, the, the interviews are, are very direct. Like, you're the best band ever. This is the best song ever. Da, 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 da. And it's not really a question. The band's like, Thanks. Like, you know what I mean? I think artists really don't always hear, they hear one or the other, either, ah, you suck, or like, you know, or, or well, like the opposite. You gotta, you gotta take it in, you know, as it comes at you. Because some people, you could, you know, fart to the microphone and they're gonna tell you it's genius because they've been right. fans for 20 years. Right. Actually, the, what I always took to with the British fans was their honesty as well. And one of them actually was responsible for me quitting smoking because this guy's name is Luna. He used to come see us in Nottingham all the time. Uber fan. Like, he just adored us. We loved him. Nice guy. And he just came walking up to me. He was on the Shine tour, the album we did without Danny. And he's like, hey, bro. He goes, I said, how'd you like the show? He goes, uh, he goes, are you all right? 
I said, what do you mean? He goes, you really look like you were, you were fighting to keep your energy up. You look like you were like fighting to breathe. And I'm like, was it obvious? Because I was. I was smoking a pack of cigarettes a day at the time. Oh. And he almost got like apologetic. Like, no, we're still good. And I, I said, no, dude. And he really opened my eyes. Like, and I stopped smoking that night. And I've never smoked again since. Because I'm like, if that's going to affect my performance to the point where a fan's seeing it, who almost feels uncomfortable telling me that. That was a, yeah. I, I like the, as you can tell, I, I like the. the well, it is, yeah, it is good. It, it is good. I mean, and it's funny. One thing I thought when I, when I, whenever these years I go back and look and compare things and um, certain share certain moments that would jump out at me. Like I can say, when I remember hearing Reach come out, I got in the car and I, I thought, oh, let me check it out. I, you know, cause I know your albums have been different through the years. And to me, the, the Reach came out, felt like, like uh, it's good. I, it's probably the first album to me. You know what I mean? It was my favorite album since the first one. Reach to me, it's my favorite album since. It the feels bridge. like it, it feels like the bridge actually. It it's feels not, like it should. If, if we could have went back in time, Reach it would have been. Don't come easy, Reach. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's, not, it's not that it's dated. It's just it just feels like it's the next the maturity, the power, and then going online and checking out some of your your live clips. I like to see. And I was thinking the first thing I noticed was I'm like God, the energy he has on drums because I always think at this point in our life, you know. You know, you can sing, leaning it back and forth and stuff. You can play guitar. You know what I mean? There's no laying back on drums. It's it's at this stage in my life where, uh, you know, um, A, it's, it's, I always hate to say it's recreational because it sounds like we don't put a lot of effort into it. It's not my primary source of revenue. It's not something I do all year round. Um, but physically. I'm still, like my wife asked me, like, do you really need to go down the basement six days a week and practice this whole? Oh, that, show? Was my, that was that was my question. Like, how do you keep it up? Because is your body I, getting sore as you get older now? Is it unforgiving? You know what I'm saying you the change. I hit the gym six days a week. I practice this show with songs that we've been playing for 20, 30 years. Yeah, and I play that whole show in real time, probably five to seven days a week, for two months before we tour. I play the whole show in the dressing room with headphones, with the, the, the albums, yeah. just making sure the tempos are locked in. So the effort that we put in to that, you know, three or four or five weeks a year, mm -hmm. we come prepared. And, and, and one of the, the eye openers, just, you know, once we got on like Download and Sweden Rock, yeah. and Cruise, you get to see the whole spectrum. You see bands that have really maintained their ability. And that takes a lot of work to do it when you're 50 or 60 years old. Oh, yeah. I could imagine it. Bands that are going to make a couple bucks and have some fun. And it's mm -hmm. obvious they haven't even picked up their instrument in a year. And, and to me, and I told Danny, I said, because people are telling us that we're playing better than we ever have in 30 years out there. Um, I said, as long as we can do it at this level, Danny's 60 next year. Um, and he's singing better than he ever has. It's I don't know what mojo he's doing. The water in Spain. <laughs> yeah, he just is like you could set your watch to the guy's reliability. He doesn't cheese out and not go for the high notes. He doesn't. He's still very aerobic on stage. And to me, he was always Freddie Mercury meets Dee Schneider. Like you right. put the front yeah. end together, that's Danny in my opinion. He's got the angst, but he also has that welcoming we're all in this room together feel like Freddie had. So yeah, the, the, the video I saw, I mean, to, to see how you guys are now, like the closest I could find to like a live good sounding one. I don't know where it's from. I'm sure you, you've already seen it. it you, the energy of all you guys was like ridiculous, but I always, I always like to hone in on the drummer. Cause you're like, how are you doing? You know, Cause some drummers will be like, yeah, it's, it's getting hard. 
and, and I have talked to one or two, uh, you know, Rob from Anvil, he's like, no, no change. I do anything different. I feel fine. <laughs> and then I'll talk to somebody else and be like, oh my God, it's the worst. No, so it's, it's, always, I, I, it's always interesting to see how, how the drumming affects you as you get older. I, I used to joke with Danny and tell him I really, it was like a running joke between here that I, I dislike musicians, just the ego and the neediness. Yeah. And the, no, that's rock stars. You're a musician. It's rock stars. I considered myself a businessman who happened to be a good drummer. That's how I was equated my role in the Taikido food chain. And something in the last five years, I don't know what it was, but I really started to appreciate every moment of being out there. Because when you get to be this age, you know, I, I had some uh, tennis elbow issues for a while, some tendon issues. And when the possibility of it being taken away from me, I really appreciated and respected with some physical therapy. I worked it out. I started training pretty heavy, um, doing a lot of like cardio. Mm -hmm. So it, that kind of woke me up that this isn't always going to be here. Don't take it for granted. And then the fact that my agency in America, my partner and I book about 3,000 club and casino cover band shows a year. So to be around a lot of musicians that may not, you know, stellar musicians that may not get that chance to go play abroad and play in mm -hmm. front of 23,000 people. Yeah. I, I really appreciate it more than ever. I don't, I don't know what clicked inside my head in the last five, six years, but I, I got twice as aggressive on the drums. And then I think when we, I don't remember when I started it, but I just, I felt like I was starting to phone it in that I was, I've been doing this so long. I could be good in my right. sleep without having to really hit it. And I didn't like that. It was coming too easy to me. So I went, I found a, a drummer named Joe Navolo. I was a fan of his from 30 years ago, mm -hmm. um, local guy, but he's, he's toured around the world with a bunch of different bands. And I went back for drum lessons. And I told him, I said, I want you to let me go nuts and then pin out my weaknesses. So he goes, okay, you're very much on the one. You're very right-hand driven. So he gave me all these crazy offbeat left. I hated him for like two months. I couldn't do any of it. And we did that tour. And I never got more compliments. And Danny was like, it's still you. It's and like once or twice every other song, I'll just go, what? what the hell was that? What did you just? And I said, dude, I've been going for drum lessons for the last like eight months. And I loved it. So I think, and I see Danny doing it. Danny's always recreating himself. Like there was one point before the Dig In Deep album, I told the agent, if we're going to go play the same fucking 12 songs in the same order, and everybody's going to wait for us to do Forever Young with the Encore with a home. I don't want to do this anymore. That's not fulfilling to me. It's a cut and paste job. We're becoming that band. That's just you know, an oldies band. Almost. I said, I want to remain relevant and I want to remain at this level of performance quality. So once Reach came out and we upped our game live, the whole game changed. Like people are like, what, you know, it, what are you guys taking up there? That's just, and it's just pure just enjoying the people you're with. And, and I think for me personally, I don't think I was ever in the moment as much as I am at these right. shows in the last couple of years. Like I'm really like looking around, I'm seeing these enjoying it. Pieces that have seen us for 20 years. I know they're kids now. And I, I'm truly appreciative of the opportunity that we have. Danny is, well, all the guys are. It, it really sounds like the change also to be, it's the band's kind of gelled on a new level. It's got like a new energy, a new, a new uh, kick to it. I, I actually had a question. Um, looking, listen back to some of your other stuff in, in between the other album stuff. Every now and I feel a twinge of, of, of country music in there. Does somebody have That's an influence Danny. in there? It is Danny. That's okay. Danny. I actually hear it sometimes when the ballad kind of just kind of comes over. I'm like, 
that country music come in here and sneak it in? That's, no, that that's what kind of gave Taiketo was always this oddball thing. Like when we were coming up, it was the blonde singer, you know, Bon Jovi, David Lee Roth, right. Sebastian Bach, and the other guys had the darker hair. We were all blonde, and our singer had the darker hair. Right. And then even before, I think Tesla really busted it wide open with the five-man acoustic jam yep. thing they did. Before that, just playing in Brooklyn, Danny is, is a very accomplished six- and 12-string acoustic guitar player. And he almost would come with these, like if you heard Sail Away in the beginning, it sounds like a John Denver-esque kind of song. Like it's really got this folky, I hear it more, a little bit more on the folk side of country, Danny's mm -hmm. approach. And then he would hand it to Brooke, and then Brooke would just put that bombastic John Sykes guitar riff on I top of it. And then I'd put like a Zeppelin-y kind of bottom drum beat on it, and this thing would just morph and become a Taiketo song. But there, with Last Sunset, I mean, that's one of our biggest encore songs. That's yeah. a staple in the set. That's flat-out country. I, can't even think of, I don't even think it's that song. There's something I heard, and I just heard it, and it, and it timbered his voice. Something that just felt like it was more country than anything. It's not not good or bad thing. I just I just heard it, I was like, that is literally to me sounds like direct country influence. Like it's just, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was a bit of a problem in the beginning, especially for Brooke and I, because Brooke was very George Lynch, Eddie Van Halen, right on top of the beat, fast ahead of things. I was very John Bonamy behind the beat, just pulling it a little bit, and we it took us about six months to find where that sweet spot was. Yeah. Because it's not in every song at all. It's just it kind of sneaks in every now and then a little little dash of pepper from, there. It comes from living together. We would just when you play four hours a day, you get over those hurdles. So, but uh, well, no, so like I can say, it, but it's not in the song all the time. That's what I'm saying. You just hear it once in a while. It's like oh, yeah, it's like a little dash of flavor and something. Kind of just mixes it up a little bit. Yeah, yep, yep. That, that was the magic of the band for me. Because if you got four Zeppelin fanatics in a band, you're going to sound like Led Zeppelin. So right. I think, and not even knowingly doing it at the time, just making our compromises. And, Okay, I'll, we'll do this this way and this that way. <clears throat> I think that's what kind of crafted the Taiketo sound, which has really stood the test of time. I mean, some of these, our, our debut album is, I think, 30 years old now, close to it. It's it's crazy. Yeah. We're coming about 89-ish or something like that. Pretty... I, I'm always fuzzy with it, only because we recorded it far earlier than we released it. Right. Because at the time, the irony, the mother of all ironies, is the record company said the record's too good and there's too much traffic out there. Let's sit on it for a while till... Till grunge? <laughs> until grunge comes. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, no. It was, I, I, second out, the grunge got you like with most bands. <laughs> My analogy is let's book an extra week at the vacation getaway. Yep. And we'll be on the island when the tidal wave comes in six yeah, days. Right? So, oh, yeah, right. Like the movie. <laughs> and we can't even fault Geffen because knowing what we knew at the time, it was just smart. There was there was everybody with hair below their shoulders was getting a gold record. So they they thought Don't Come Easy was going to be easily a double platinum album. So nobody saw the grunge thing coming the way it came, like that cyclone. So we sat on that record for a while. And 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 who knows what the future would have held for us if it was really six months or you know your second album changed anyway, your 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 band changed a lot by having your second album changes around and you know I mean so who knows you're right grunge might not change it I think love metal I, I you know I enjoyed some of the original bands that were grunge I hate that word but um I think by the end what else made metal week was it was starting to eat itself it was getting too much of, of a copy of a copy of a copy 
It was getting exactly. It was just knockoffs at that point, and and it was interesting from our perspective with it because uh, DGC signed us and Nirvana. And the way things started was we were supposed to be the double platinum, triple platinum band. They had a small college base, and and Geffen's the the head of promotion at Geffen said, "I keep getting all these congratulatory phone calls for doing such a great job on Nirvana," and she goes, "The people." chose that music we didn't do any big marketing genius push it was it was time for a change and it was the right band at the right time so here you got you know nirvana and taiketo <laughs> like that and you know we were out of a job for a couple of years because of that that's how hard that hit us well and i say i think it's hard because also generationally a lot of bands got to build on an album in the 70s you, you know you could build a career for a couple albums took a while. You toured, did went out. You eat them, dang. This it's, it's, that generation came out. You needed a gold or platinum album right at the gate. You couldn't build on your songs. You literally had two or three years to build a career. Oh, we, we it was it, it became that was the Reaganomics year. No, era but you couldn't really movie. work your albums though, like back in the seventies though. You know what I mean? Seventies, you went and toured your record into the ground. This thing yeah. was all video based. It was you know looked the part. Um, Geffen demanded. That our photo, we spent, I don't know what we spent. We had this graphic designer. We loved the Tesla album cover. And we wanted to emulate that. It was artwork. The, the first one? The first one. one. Yeah. Yep. And we hired this graphic designer. It had to be a couple grand. It was like this orb. With this, we had this, he had this like brush plated metal logo. Yeah. And he actually made a mock of it. It was like three feet wide. It was beautiful. They're like, no. Just we, we need so they had our pictures front cover back cover and a uh, four single shots and a fold out poster. Wow! So they were marketing the band on the look really entirely, and it was just throwing these huge advances at us. And it was like you said earlier, it was that that cookie cutter mentality. Okay, to come out with Forever Young, and then the third single we'll do the big ballad, and that's going to put it over the top, and we'll switch over to pop radio. Blah, blah, blah. And the whole house just came down. Like all that conventional thinking was. But in the, the thing, you know, a lot of those bands that were towards not doing it are not touring now. So a lot of the bands that are out now that survived, the fans, we all heard the songs in there. Despite how you guys got pushed this way in directions here and change your sound or we dropped here on this label here and get screwed. A lot of you guys survived because you guys had some songs in there. You know? We did. We've done our our story is very unique because it's just been peaks and valleys because we just got this massive deal on Geffen, and then a year and a half later we have no deal, and we're out playing clubs again just to survive. Could you imagine if Aerosmith had that though back then? Like if Aerosmith started right then when you did, can you imagine it would be like that's it? You know what I mean? It's we had a lot of tenacity and we wouldn't take no for an answer ever. We still don't, and I think that really has kept us alive this long and it's not always a you know a pleasant run we sometimes we got to do shoestring budgets there was one tour i think i was out for six weeks and literally didn't come home with a dime but i didn't care that's not why we did it it's like i i you know it sounds corny but if, if you love what you do you tolerate that stuff a lot more. right if i mean you're... coming back negative would be a little suckier <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, breaking even you're like well you know that's happened too we've had oh. windfall shows like it's it's we don't judge it on the day to day, like it's part of our lives. It's ingrained in who we are. Danny and I met in 1987 and early 1988. Like we're, we're going at this for you know, 
over three decades together. We had a long time together. And we know we're going to do it for the rest of our lives together. Like there isn't, I don't really go out and do a lot of different projects with a lot of different bands. Like that's the singer that I want to be playing drums behind for the rest of my career as a drummer. And, and likewise, there's this interesting, like you read about uh, Robert Plant and John Bonham. They had a connection that the other guys in the band didn't have. They were friends, first and foremost. And they just had that that connection that, that went off the stage. It, it was their lives together. So that's, yeah. that's standing out. That's pretty cool. Look at all you so far away, though. <laughs> Give you guys a big break. Been, I mean, yeah. I mean, well, the, the band in the beginning lived together. So, you know, we were under the same roof for a couple of years. One van, one grocery run. You know, I mean, there was only a three-bedroom house. So a bass player and I had a bunk bed in our room. So we, and to that, to being in different continents. And the the interesting thing is, whether it's being three feet apart in the same house or on two different parts of the planet, our connections never diminished or increased as a result. It's, it always stays. So we could jump on the phone after not talking for a couple of weeks and just pick right up with our lives. So. Oh, it sounds fantastic. It sounds you know you guys are alive, like energetically, like into what you're doing. So it's, it's very, you know, it matches what I've been hearing and seeing. You know what I mean? I can't imagine doing it any other way like why and like maybe somebody's throwing pistols of money at me i might be a little bit more tolerant but i genuinely like you know i, I don't like a lot of my bass player greg says it the best he says the bass playing free he goes i get paid for the six hour flight with the layover i get paid for the truck stop food i get paid for yeah. the no sleep in a flea bag hotel so and that's how i look at it too like when we're on stage that's the easiest part of the whole thing is getting on the stage and doing that show it's everything else around it that could be a bit taxing at times. It's the worst for you guys. I, I couldn't imagine, like, being a musician, you have to deal with all, all the merchandise, all the product, all the, the planning, the, everything else. There's so much other stuff. It's hard to even become a, an artist. Well, we're self-managed, too. So that's all on us. Like, I, I need – I do a bulk of it because I manage – I have a management production company for my day job. So I do a lion's share of the movement and shaking if this goes here and this crew guy and that band and that stuff. That's usually three months before we're done. And then when you're off the road, there's reconciling all the books, there's getting the money wires, getting the balances in, paying yeah. out everybody, you know, rec- just putting everything to bed. So that's right. usually the month after we're done. And that's for a three-week show. So it takes <laughs> probably takes four months to do two or three weeks of touring. Oh, but wow. it's yeah, it's a lot goes on with it. Is it hard to tour out of the country? Like financially? Uh, what we ended up doing was America's the hardest not to crack because it's so Is big. It? Yeah, I'm not looking at numbers. I'm just, I like, I like the opinion because some like foreign bands coming in here have to pay, like, you have to pay to come in the country, like five grand, ten it's grand. It's different in the country, but what we do, what we started doing as our, as our uh, audiences grew, we started getting money in other countries. Now, like the thing we're doing in March of 22 is just a British cluster, which means we're not flying in and out. It's all it's all ground transport. I think the furthest drive is four hours between gigs. So that's I think that's seven or eight shows in, in eight or nine days, but it's centralized and it's easy. Then if we do opt to do something in Europe, then maybe we'll fly into Germany, drive to Holland. While we're up to Holland, we drive. They're like little quick shots. Yeah. Like Holland to Belgium is probably closer than you and i are right now in jersey yeah so it's not we've we've been doing it so long we had a couple that we really stretched ourselves too thin it was like norway then the denmark then back to england then up to it, it was just like this is madness 
And that's what we stopped doing about three, four years ago is let's not tour as much and just do it a bit more intelligently. We're not killing us. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show. I want to, um, it's good hearing from you. We know you guys are out there still doing stuff and, you know, planning on, on, on coming back out right away. Are you going to, um, let's, let's actually end. The last thing is, is plans to do an album. Are you guys writing songs separately now while you're in lockdown with ideas? No. I think COVID. Don't browbeat it. <laughs> when it all locked down, I, the first thing I thought it was we have nothing but time. So we're going to start doing a record. It, it disrupted everybody. Like my business, which is a pretty lucrative business here in New Jersey, I'm down 95%. So, and I told Danny, I said, dude, I need to keep the lights on. Like I need to focus on. So I think when everybody went into survival, Danny just started doing his live cast from home. You know, he had his other stuff. Everybody kind of just went into their own little private mode. And the thing that I would say, it's a, I'm not sure if it's a negative, but the, the only problematic thing is reach, like you and I said a couple of times today, it's such an exemplary record. Yeah. We know we can't do another one. That album, we did the demos for that record for a year and a half. So we, you know, we really charted that course. That stuff was meticulously worked on until we can really do it at that level. Same mentality as we do with everything else in our career. If it can't be, it doesn't have to be better but it has to be as good. Like we set the bar to a new standard for this band. I mean, I heard, so, I, was like, I was excited. I was like, oh, I have not finished an album since, since, since their first album. This is like exciting. It's from the first album, you know, but it's not, this wasn't the same. The other ones didn't hit me the same. I'm going to be honest with you. That th those two just really just bookended just nice. I, I don't know why, but I agree a thousand percent. And I can't describe to you why I feel that way. Because the songs are, are, are good. Are okay. in the albums and the musicianship is fine. There's nothing wrong in there. Yeah, got your singles on it, whatever. It's not, it's not even that. More. It's just, it's just something about that first one, and then that one. It's like it, an energy. Like it, it was like you were on fire then, and you're back on fire again, or something. On on a rhythmic level, it was conscious. On a rhythmic level, and there, you know, to me, it's somebody asked what my favorite drumming song is, and I tell them Highway to Hell by ACDC, and they laugh at me. I, I think it's it's, sonic, sonically, it's, I felt it sonically coming at me like 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 your first one, maybe, you know. The first album was more like ACDC-ish kind of drumming, where it's just simple but effective, but it was very simple. Like what Phil Rudd does to me is genius. Four, four. It's a little. Four, but it's just, it's how he does it, not what he's doing. Right. Then I listened to something like the Dr. Feelgood record, and I'm like, so on this record, I said, you know what? Fuck it. I said, I'm going to overplay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Tommy Lee this one. I'm not just going to Tico this one. Or, you know, like Tico yeah. Torres to me is the best timekeeper out there. He just lays yeah. it down very simply. I said, I want to go in that other weird. I said, I'm going to overplay on this record. So I said, you let me know when I'm, I'm doing too much. So I just yeah. went nuts on that Reach album. And it was so much fun because I never, nor that's how I usually play live all the time. I overplay live. I never did an album. I always respected Danny's melodies and kept the rhythm simple. This one, I'm like, fuck it. Yeah, but it doesn't really change those. It's just, maybe the, the band grew off because, you know, you're, you're in the pocket and, you know, well, the thing I learned from that record is as long as Danny's lyrics and melodies are as strong as they always are, there's room for us to step up. We didn't overshadow him. That was always my concern is, is the music going to squash him? And it just made it all bigger. Like everything got bigger simultaneously. So if, if I had a look at it, I would say the reason I, and I agree with you a thousand percent, like don't come easy and reach. 
they're not mirror images of each other, but it shows the maturity level of the band. But it still has that element of Don't Come Easy with the quality of the songs, the catchiness of the lyrics, the memory. So the same band, you're not a different band. You're not, you're not wearing flannel shirts yeah. and looking at the ground. Do you guys? It's, it's bridged. That's the right. beginning and, and the current state of our career as musicians. That's the best way I can put it. And it's as strong as your first one. Maybe it's good. Because it's good. It's that's a good, a good thing. If at this point in your life you can do your album in your, in your day, that's pretty good. You know? That's one of the things about pushing 60 is you can do whatever the hell you want. <laughs> I'm not looking to please anybody or, 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 you know, do anything except put it on and listen to it. I say this is a great fucking record. Like I'm very proud of it, and that to me is all you could ask for in this world as a musician is to make something you yourself are proud of. Well, it'd be good. Obviously, when you guys get back, if we get back, you know, past the apocalypse here, um, to work on another album. You know what I mean? It'll happen. Got another album. Got another album like that. You know, it wouldn't wouldn't suck, man. To hear that, hear another one. <laughs> When the time is right, we do it. Well, you still can do it, right? A couple of years. Yes. How long do you think? How long do you think you can play for? How how much years do you think of you? Rolling Stones. Yes, and the main reason is Danny is a strict vegan. He takes care of himself. There's no drugs or booze with either one of us. No cigarettes with either one of us. We're both very physically active, and we both come prepared. So as long as, and we made a deal that the second, for whatever reason, it might just be we're doing all those responsible things and our bodies just aren't agreeing with us anymore. Right. But as long as we can do it like this, mm-hmm. I'll continue to do this into my 70s. Absolutely. And I'm also going to know when it's time to step down if I can't do it. That's kind of what I respected so much with Bill Kirk when he just said, I can't play these songs the way I used to when I was a young man. It was, you know, it was respectful. Sometimes you got to, you know, and it, for me, it's like, I'm such a physical drummer. I can't fake that. Like, unless I'm in really good physical shape, I can't play like that for 90 minutes. It's, it's crazy back there. It gets nutty. Well, that's back there. Yeah, I'm like, God, if you can play that when you're seven, you'll be a madman. You'll be I'm, out of control. <laughs> I'm still hanging. I'm a madman anyway. But we'll, we'll see. You are. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> well, I want to, hopefully when it's over, we can talk again and get kind of like where we're back with things. You know what I mean? I'd be, happy to, I'd be happy to keep you posted as we get into the end of next year. You and I should check in. I'll let you know what we're up to. Yeah, because I post things and, and things that come up from on my, my page here. We'll share it, okay? I want to thank you for being on the show tonight, man. Thank you, brother. Take care of yourself. Have a wonderful holiday, All right. everybody. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye.